Welcome to Alco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am an associate professor of farming practice here at the support and sponsor of Alco Farm. Uh, the supporting sponsor of Onco Farm, which is the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. It is a rainy June 3rd. Just had a wonderful inpatient rounding experience and about to go over for hopefully another wonderful uh, experience uh, over in, in, in clinic here uh, later. Got a couple new drugs to talk about, uh, a new landmark-ish study published, and then an, another COVID cancer vaccine update real quick. So I'm going to try to get all this done in 10 uh, minute. So, uh, a week ago, last Friday, not quite a week ago, I was doing a, uh, a lecture for our medical oncology fellows on uh, targeted agents. And I was going over some of the targeted agents for, uh, for non-small cell lung cancer beyond the EGFRs and the ALKs and uh, talked about those. And I had Satorasib on there, uh, which is the KRAS uh, inhibitor uh, saying, I have this on here. Um, it's not approved, FDA approved yet, but it will be. It was literally approved later that day. So uh, so last Friday, I think it was the 28th, Satorasib so uh, was FDA approved for uh, metastatic non-small cell uh, lung cancer. Uh, I believe, I should have done this, I'm pretty sure in patients who had already um, received, yeah, at least one line uh, of chemo before that, uh, received Satorasib. So now this was presented at ASCO last year. The New England Journal of Medicine publication was last year. It's a single center study like 100 patients, not a single center study, a single arm study, like 100 patients. Response rate, I think, was 34%, you know, less than 40%. Not terribly impressive for a targeted agent in a very highly selected patient population. Um, But what's unique about this, or interesting, is the story. This is a RAS inhibitor, and RAS is commonly upregulated and active in cancers, but has for years been thought to be undruggable. Uh, and, and I've seen this described as a kinase. It's, it's kind of like a, a slippery ball. It's hard to get a drug uh, in there anywhere to inhibit RAS. Well, this Satorasib approval for metastatic non-small cell lung cancer after one line of prior systemic therapy is specific to the G12C mutated version of, um, of KRAS. Now, this G12C uh, means that the 12th uh, codon position, uh, whatever G is, is changed to glycine, whatever, is changed to C, cytosine. And satorasib covalently bonds to, binds to cytosine while that uh, kinase is inactive. And since it binds to the cytosine at that 12th codon only in the mutated KRAS, it has fairly little off-target RAS toxicity since RAS is... Um, you know, kind of like a mother kinase in every cell in our body, it's important. If you inhibit a lot of wild-type RAS or KRAS, you'd have a ton of toxicity and you probably couldn't use the drug. Toxicity seems to be, you know, relatively mild. Uh, but I think the big thing here with this story is, uh, you know, the undruggable drug that people kept working on, working on, working on, and, and found now a section of people uh, that can be targeted with this Um you know, the typical things you think about with TKIs, uh, I won't get into. One thing I will say is that uh, this drug is a weak 3A4 inducer, meaning it in- increases metabolism of drugs that are 3A4 substrates. Uh, not not typically something you would have to worry about, like say somebody's on a, a statin or something like that, like a torvastatin. You might not have to worry about that. Maybe increase the dose from 40 to 80 or, or something along those lines. Uh, but I do think that it's, it's worth pointing out that because it's a little bit sneaky. Decrease the exposure of, of, of 34 substrates like midazolam, the one we know by about half. 
again, for a stat, it won't make uh, probably a ton of difference. But if somebody's on River Oxban, a Pixaban, it might decrease the concentration enough that it is not effective for treating VTE. Therefore, I, you know, I wouldn't use those drugs with Satorisib, at least until uh, somebody does a, a PK study showing it's effective. All right, so that's Satorisib. Really, really, you know, a great uplifting story. Uh, the next drug approval we have is infigratinib, which is an FGFR2 uh, approved for FGFR2 um, altered um, cholangiocarcinoma. This is very similar to pimigatinib, which has a, basically the same uh, indication uh, a year or two ago. Uh, infigratinib also inhibits FGFR1, 2, and 3, and to a much lower extent, FGFR4, so there may be some off-label uses for that in, in the molecular genomics clinics you could predict this was a single arm study of 108 patients with a response rate of 23%. Not all that, not all that great. Uh, if you know, uh, if you remember what I talked about with uh, in the past with pemigatinib and, and erdafitinib, other FGFR inhibitors. Uh, remember IFOS, so, so some serious eye toxicities happen as well as hyperphosphatemia. Um, that is an on-target side effect that you do watch for. Um, when the first FGFR inhibitors came out, they described the, the hyperphosphatemia. I don't remember them describing soft tissue mineralization as a warning that can happen, including things like calciphylaxis. Uh, however, that is in, in now uh, the PI and the prescribing information, the label for, for both pimigatinib and this new drug, uh, infigratinib. Uh, you know, which one would you use for an FGFR2 altered cholangiocarcinoma? Uh, you know, you can't really make uh, comparisons since they haven't been compared to each other. So I would do which one is the best fit for a patient. And as an example, uh, infigratinib has lower um, uh, exposure in people on acid suppressive therapy. So I would use pemigatinib for people on PPIs, things like that. By the way, the same goes for satorcib, uh, lower exposure in people on PPIs, if I'm remembering that correctly. And, and as I go through these new approved TKIs, that's kind of what I look at is how would I, you know, what are the things that are going to make us change or modify therapy? with regards to drug disease state interactions. Uh, so someone with CKD and already has hyperphosphatemia, I'm thinking how would we monitor their FOS in somebody on one of these drugs? Um, and if they're on PPIs, uh, do we need dose, adjust uh, dose adjustments or, or, or can we even use those drugs in these folks? Those are some of the things that I look for when these new drugs are approved as long as, especially drug interactions uh, as a pharmacist. Okay, so those are the new two drugs and they, you know, at, at this point, if you follow this closely, uh, like I, like I do, I, it, it's really hard to commit all these clinical pearls to memory. So I, I kind of have developed a process anytime, you know, I'm using one of these drugs for the first time because the drug may have been approved three years ago and I haven't had a chance to, to take care of a patient with it. Um, but I kind of have a, a, you know, a, a systematic approach to, to looking through the PI and how this drug is going to play with the patient. And hopefully you picked up on some of those things uh, as I go through this. It's not just looking at does this drug target a mutation that this patient has? Um, the guidelines tell you that. Uh, the, the real, I think, clinical skills come in, in, in this uh, kind of fine-tuning and um, approach to looking closely uh, at the drug characteristics. Okay, enough about kinase inhibitors. Let's move on to Checkmate, what is it? 274. This was published um, in the New England Journal of Medicine. Adjuvant nivolumab versus placebo in muscle invasive urothelial carcinoma. These are mostly bladder cancer patients. They did cap the number of non-bladder urothelial carcinoma. So, so upper urinary tract like ureter, maybe renal pelvis. They capped that at 20%. So these folks had to have radical cystic cystectomy, so uh, removal of their entire bladder, and it had to be an R0 resection, similar methodology to the prior 
uh, paper last week in, in gastric cancers. Had to remove everything, no, no sign of tumor uh, on pathology, margins clear, all that good stuff. No macroscopic or microscopic uh, margin positivity. And then I got nivolumab for one year or placebo. And the primary endpoint is disease-free survival. Uh, which, you know, looks okay in, in the entire population. Hazard ratio of 0.7, okay? Maybe that's a base hit from a hazard ratio. If you just look at those with pdl one production of 1%, a hazard ratio is 0.55, looks like a solid double, but this is disease-free survival. You know, so the, the question for me, for adjuvant therapy, are we curing people by using a year of adjuvant nevo, or are we delaying recurrence? And I'm not saying there's not value in delaying recurrence, but cure is a much more attractive thing to know and an answer we would rather have. That's that's the that's the that's the, one of the most rewarding parts of working in oncology is is helping to cure patients. Um, they don't report the overall survival data here, so hopefully that will that will come. They do allude to that in in their discussion. Hopefully we will see that. And I don't know how great DFS is as a surrogate marker for OS, but it is still a surrogate marker and uh, I'd like to see the OS. And unfortunately they didn't power it for, for OS. They powered it for DFS uh, in these two populations, the, the whole patient population and the pdl one positive, if uh, I remember correctly. Of note, not everyone in the study had to get neoadjuvant uh, cisplatin-based chemotherapy, which is the standard of care prior to transplant. Um, it's a little challenging for folks to do this, <clears throat> but I do want to point out that uh, those who did get neoadjuvant chemo seem to derive the most benefit from nivolumab in the adjuvant setting. So here's the hazard ratio for the folks for disease-free survival again, which is what we have, for those who received neoadjuvant cisplatin-based chemo. Hazard ratio 0.53. That comps interval is 0.39 to 0.72. All right, so there's about a 50% uh, decrease in the risk of uh, the disease coming back while you're alive, okay? If you got neoadjuvant chemo. If you didn't, the hazard ratio was 0.91, still slightly in favor of nivolumab, but the hazard ratio goes from 0.69 to 1.21. There's a fairly clear trend there, and this, this fits with my prior uh, assumption, which is cisplatin-based chemo is going to decrease the size of the tumor, maybe make the surgery easier, but also kill any other... Uh, sites of micrometastatic disease and, and kill those that would be growing rapidly, more rapidly than the host tissue. And that is really where we think that, that immunotherapy should be most effective is in states where there is a lower tumor burden. You know, immunotherapy is not going to cause typically complete responses with a huge tumor burden. The immune system uh, is limited in how much cancer it can kill. But if there's a small tumor burden, that's in theory where the immune system and immunotherapy should be most effective. This kind of fits with that you know, but again, this is disease-free survival data. It probably make the guidelines to, to do this in folks. Maybe it's just in people who got new adjuvant chemo and that are PD-1 positive. We'll see what the experts say uh, we should do uh, without uh, OS benefit. And maybe the OS benefit is being presented at ASCO. I don't know. Something to be uh, looking for this coming weekend. Okay, so that's Checkmate 274. Uh, and then the final thing I have to to relay to you, something I've been following closely, are these preliminary reports. Uh, they all seem to be coming from Israel. So kudos to the Israeli healthcare uh, workers uh, and, and physicians doing this research uh, for patients with cancer receiving the COVID vaccine and how effective it appears to be. So this was published uh, recently in JAM Oncology, 180 patients uh, from Israel uh, 102 of them with cancer, 78 healthy controls. They got the Pfizer vaccine, and they're looking at seropositivity after the for for IgG for the antibodies to that 
that protein spike on COVID-19. So this is looking at antibody positivity after the second dose. 100% in the controls, as we would hope. 90% in the group with cancer. Now this is much higher than we've than I've reported previously in patients with hematologic malignancies and CLL, and that's a difference. Most of these folks had solid tumors. The, the, the most common tumor type, 20%, had GI cancers. They're not getting CD20 antibodies. They're not getting BCL2 inhibitors. Uh, they're just getting you know generic chemo. Uh, now not enough data with that small to figure out if if a cytoxin-based regimen is worse to be on while you're getting your COVID vaccine versus a taxane-based regimen or anything like that. But 90% is pretty good. Um, it's not perfect, but it's pretty good. It's reassuring for folks who maybe are like, ah, I'm kind of on the fence about getting getting the COVID vaccine. Um, you know, while I'm on chemo, uh, this is reassuring uh, to me that that these folks may not get full benefit, but are still getting pretty good benefit. It looks like now how long the seropositivity lasts, we don't know. This is basically just a cross-sectional analysis, and. This is a surrogate marker for protection from disease. You'd actually have to look at infection rates in a, you know, thousands of patients to see the vaccine effectiveness in patients with cancer, which hopefully somebody is doing. Okay, so that was quick. Don't know if I made the 10-minute mark, but it was not for lack of trying. Uh, next week, uh, should should have a pod next week, uh, wrapping up some of the highlights of, of this week in ASCO, some of the big stuff to come out. Uh, you know, I tend to focus on things that... Uh, our, our practice changing, so sometimes abstracts come out that will will change practice the very following week. So I'll try to focus on those with the, the limited time I have for at least my attention span and probably your attention span listening to my voice yak on. All right, thanks for listening. That's all I have this week. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeetNib. Follow the podcast at uh, on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.